Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Welcome to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Virgin Most Powerful Family, always good to be here. Good to share our faith and our good health. And it's really special for me to be able to talk to you today. Um, I'm hoping that this will be a two-part show. Our first show, um, I want to say welcome to the clinic because I want to give you an experience, an idea of what it's like for some people to come into the clinic and to express how they feel about certain things. In this particular show, I really want to talk about identity and what that means for us, both mentally and spiritually. Because not only on our everyday lives and in terms of uh, when we ask ourselves how we're doing and what we're doing, there's always a question of who we are, what we're doing, and why. But really, not just in the terms of mental health, because I help a lot of people every day with this. You know, people come and talk to me about this every day. But this also translates into the field of deliverance. And what we do when we're talking about um, spiritual warfare, who we are as people, and how we're going to approach that. So in the first hour, what I'd really like to do is talk about our identity, what that means to us both mentally in terms of our mental health and spiritually as we see it in scripture. And then in the second part uh, of the show, of, of the series, um, we can talk about how that ties into deliverance and what that means when people feel that they're either being oppressed or they're being influenced by negative entities and how we approach that and why identity is really so important when we think about how we're going to be delivered. But for today's show, let's talk about just the topic of identity quickly. You know, in society, we always look at different things, you know, identity, who we are, from the most basic thing from when we're born. Uh, the first thing people say is, you know, besides is it a boy or a girl, uh, which already gives us an identity, they always ask us, what's our name? And, you know, what are you going to name your child? Is it going to be, you know, named after the dad, after a relative or something? That always ties into our, our, our identity. And you notice that once we're given a name, we're given a family name, uh, be it a first name, a last name, um, this is all important because then we carry different things with that. We always uh, have our, our um, different um, um, IDs, right? So we get pulled over, we work somewhere, we carry ID with us, and they always want to look at what's our name, who we are, and what that means. Um, our identity is always important. It's something that we, we introduce ourselves to other people. We let them know what our name is. We let them know who we are. And people always want to find out what we do as well and things of that nature. So these are all important things in terms of thinking of um, who we are as people. But in society, you might notice recently that there's this general trend to, based on our identities, uh, really have this sense of, that is who we are. We get labeled. And people ask, well, what do you stand for? And you've got to take a stand for something. And sometimes people really find their identities in joining different groups or things of that nature. But let's take a step back. I say welcome to the clinic because a lot of times once we walk into the clinic, I see a lot of my patients who ask me, what's wrong with me? What's going on? Why do I feel this way? And they've really lost their sense of self. They feel like they don't even like themselves. And that can be pretty hard for some people to accept. You know, they, um, 
they want to find their place in the world really more than anything else. I remember I had a teenager one time who came to me and, you know, their whole sense of identity initially during high school was playing sports and they wanted to play, they played basketball and they did great on the team and they played different sports uh, besides basketball. They were also on baseball and they felt that, you know, being an athlete really was what, what kept them um, um, integrated with people and in different places. So they really felt that, that was who they were. The challenge came when all of a sudden uh, he wanted to go to college. And as he's going to college, then he's saying he felt a little bit lost and he felt like he didn't know who he was anymore. You know, he had gone from this uh, wonderful place of being in high school and felt protected overall. And he felt that people knew him as an athlete. And then all of a sudden he was going off to college and he wasn't sure what he was going to do with his life. He didn't know who he was. He was starting to feel depressed. He was starting to feel anxious and he was starting to feel frustrated. Um, and he really started getting to this place of, he said he wanted to find himself. Well, when you start using that language of, I want to find myself, you have to ask yourself, why is that? What is this person really saying? And what they're really saying is that they feel lost, right? We don't find, we don't need to find something unless we can't, unless it's lost. So something's gone. My identity is lost. I don't know who I am or where I am. And that can be very, very challenging for people because all of a sudden we're going through life and we don't have a sense of direction anymore. Uh, sometimes for ourselves, sometimes for, or for, or for others or what we're supposed to do in society. And one of the biggest challenges there is that we have to ask ourselves, is this normal to feel this way? Why do we feel this way? Why do we go through this transition? Well, it's very, very normal because when we're children, we gain our identity from our parents, from our families. We know who we are. Um, but then all of a sudden something happens. Why is it so common in adolescence and as people are going to college and wanting to get their own careers or become come to themselves? Why is it that we lose a sense of identity? In reality, I don't think we lose it. I think it's the first time that we're actually finding it. It's the first time that we actually have this sense of, hey, I got to find out who I am. I got to I got to know what I'm going to do with my life. And one of the questions that I would ask is, well, why do we get to this place where we need to find what we're going to do with our lives? Um, one of the things is that we need to consider if we're looking at this from a spiritual perspective is when we start to grow, when we start to head into adolescence, all of a sudden, what happens? We're going to become adults and we get a sense of mission. We get a sense of what does God want me to do with my life? And that's really, I think, where all of this comes from. We start gaining the sense of Wow, I am supposed to do something. I'm going to start being, as we say, called to a vocation. What is it that I want to do with my life? What vocation am I being called to? And as we transition from our childhood and adolescence into adulthood, that's truly the sign of adulthood. God is calling us to do something. So it's very common that we transition from the time that we're in our teenage years to our young adult years to feel like we need to find ourselves, we need to do something. You notice that when people start to, to go from high school to college, a lot of times they'll say they want to travel or they want to go to different places in the world. And why is that? You know, they're saying they want to find themselves. Well, notice that what, what happens to us when we want to find ourselves. All of a sudden we want to go on a journey. 
it's not that I want to find myself and I'm going to be here and uh, um, at home or, or I'm going to stick around certain places and that's where I'm going to find myself. We kind of get the sense of journey. Like I need to go somewhere. I need to travel. I need to gain experience or something along those lines. Um, and that's very, very common. It's a very common place to be. But does that necessarily mean that I have to travel far? You know, there's lots of stories, lots of allegories of people who want to travel far uh, to find themselves, and they think that they're going to go accomplish these great feats. And by the time they're done with that, with this journey, they realize, wow, you know, they end up right back at home where they felt that they had to leave. And that's good. The journey was necessary. It was a very important journey. One of the things that we see in society today, though, which is very uh, uh, near and dear to my heart, and what I tell my patients is, continue on your but don't lose sight of who you are. And one of the things is that that's where it sounds like a paradox, right? I'm, I'm coming here, doc, talking to you, telling you I need to find myself, and you're telling me not to lose sight of who I am. Well, what, what does that mean? What do you mean? I, I'm going to go find out who I am. And I think that that's where we've got to be very careful. When we say that we want to find ourselves, the question is, are we really lost? Or is it that what we don't realize we are looking for a our mission our calling from god i think more than anything else when we get that sense of i need to find out who i am i want to find myself we need to remember that our identity is never going to change god already gave us our identity god already told us who we are what he's really helping us to do is to try to find that sense what that mission is that he's calling us to while we're here on earth you know it's very easy to um to think that we are lost or that we are, are, are all over the place and we don't have a sense of purpose or mission. But then we need to look at a few things. We need to look at a few Bible readings. And so we need to look at initially where in the Bible it tells us who we are. The very first place that you're going to find that is in the book of, Gen in, of Jeremiah. Excuse me. So in the book of Jeremiah, there is a reading that says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. What does all this mean? So God is saying that he's reminding us, first of all, that we didn't always exist. You know, there, there was a time where I didn't exist. There was a time where you didn't exist. We weren't born yet. Not to the world anyway. But we were already born in God's mind. We have to remember that because we have to, sometimes it feels like our journeys and our life story is separate from God. But the reality is, God already knows exactly that we are here, and God knew when we were going to be here. He knew when we were going to be born. And on top of that, he had a mission for us. So before we were born, we were consecrated. But now let's look a little bit further in Jeremiah. In chapter 29, verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Let's look at what this means in terms of us, in terms of our mental health. It's perfectly normal to feel like we need a sense of, of mission. We need a sense of finding ourselves. And sometimes in society, we'll see a whole lot of chaos going on. And we'll see a lot of people arguing about what's right and what's wrong and who they are and who you are. And if you do certain things, this is what this means to you. But the reality is that is not necessarily the case. It's not up to society to tell us who we are. God already formed us, and he's going to let us know who we are. We'll talk a little bit more about this when we come back, and then we'll talk about how God formed us. From that point forward, our life was hit, and we'll see that. 
Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app for him. I went on vacation, and you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to Terry and Jesse's show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week. He goes to the Mass in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's an on-fire Catholic, and he promotes the Terry and Jesse show on the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Daniel, what a testimony, and I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. In Luke 7, Jesus said, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven her, because she has been shown great love. According to St. John of the Cross, Christians should always remember that the value of their good works is not based on number and excellence. Their value is based on the love for God that prompts them to do the works. May we always be motivated by true love for God, and not worry so much about what we do, but why we do it. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. And today we're talking about our identity and really what that means in the light of Christ. Um, there's a lot of confusion sometimes, and it's very easy to feel lost in terms of our identity. When we talk about identity, yes, I had mentioned earlier that we talk about, you know, identification in terms of your license or a passport. You know, somebody says, who are you? You have to prove who you are. This is important because you notice that everybody's going to have a certain identity that we have to go by. But sometimes based on what we do or, or what we say or what groups we're associated with, it's very easy for people to say, oh, this is who you are. So let's take, for example, I was talking a little bit about a young man who came to me earlier uh, in, in clinic and he was worried and he wasn't exactly sure who he was anymore because in high school he knew that he was a sports star and he knew that he was very popular and everybody knew him. Um, and that's all he had really thought about for himself. And then all of a sudden he has to go to college. And as he's graduating high school and he goes to college, he's not exactly sure what he's supposed to do. He's not sure what he wants to major in. He's not sure what kind of a career path he wants to take. Yeah, he was a, a really good athlete in high school, but was that going to be enough for college? He didn't. He knew he wasn't going to make a career of athletics. Uh, he wasn't going to be the star college player. And so now he really had to think about his academics and he had to think about what he wanted to do with himself. This is very common. And so ultimately he wanted to, he, he wanted to find himself to see who he was going to be. 
And my challenge is that we already have an identity. And what we choose to do in life is based more on the mission that God gives us. Because if we look back at Genesis, let's look just at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So in Genesis, we already know that we were created. And when we came to existence, we're under the existence, or our existence, excuse me, is based on God. So God, we're created in the image of God. What does that tell me? That tells me that there's a purpose to my life. And if I'm created in the image of God, there has to be something godly about me. Not that I'm God at all, nowhere near God, but there has to be something about me that has to reach a certain height to be close to God, to be united to God. So that's already, we know that from the Genesis account, but again, from the Jeremiah account, let me read that one again. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. So now God is telling us that even though we didn't always exist, he already knew us, and he already had this plan to create us in his own image. Let's fast forward a little bit. This young man goes to college, and he's going to pick a career. And a lot of times, we all of a sudden start to define ourselves by our careers, who we are in terms of we, you know, it's very common in society. We say hi to each other and we say, hello, how are you? This is my name or what's your name? And then once we shake hands, um, it's so common. The next question is, what do you do? Why do, why do we ask that? Why do we ask what you do, what your actions are? What do you do as a career? What do you do during the day? It's an interesting question, really, because a lot of times we have to say, well, maybe I don't want people to know what I do. Or, you know, sometimes what, what does it matter what I do? We just met. But it's interesting if you look at the psychology behind this, if you look at the mental health aspect of this, and this is why sometimes it's so stressful in society to ask ourselves, what am I going to do? What's my identity? Because a lot of times we're treated by what we do as if that is what we are. You know, as people will uh, introduce themselves and say, hi, I am a teacher, or I am a fireman, or this is what I am. So it's very interesting in the language that we use in society that we identify our identity with what we do. And based on what we do is how people will treat us. So there's that fine line. You always hear people say, oh, you want to find a job where you do something you love. If you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life because it's, it's wonderful and, and you'll be happy. And I agree with that. I think that that's true. I think you got to follow your heart because a lot of times your heart is telling you what the mission from God is. That's how God talks to us. He's going to talk to us in his heart, and he's going to let us know, this is what I have for you. This is the, the plan I have for you. This is what I created you for, and this is how you're going to best serve me on earth. So that's one thing that's very important. But it's very challenging um, that when we do introduce ourselves, we say, this is what I do. And all of a sudden, it seems like that's how we're treated, or we ask people, what do you do in order to know how to treat them? That's a challenging place to be in in society because before I was even any kind of a, a professional, before I was a teacher, before I was a fireman, before I was a policeman, before I was a, a butcher, whatever it is that we choose to do in life, before that, I already had an identity. And my identity was that of a child of God. So the reality is, is when we're answering and we say, I am this, we should really more be thinking, this is what I do here on earth until, until I get to heaven. Because who I am is really just a child of God. That's, that's who I am. How do I know that? Because God created me in his image, and he, he has a mission for me. Our time here on earth is temporary. 
when it's not here forever. Our identity, our eternal identity, is to be with God. So it's important, and it's important to remember this because once we start to identify ourselves as being something other than a child or a daughter of God, or a son or a daughter of God, excuse me, then all of a sudden things can kind of get murky. If I don't see my career as that which I do in order to best serve God, then my identity gets wrapped up in that which I do. And I feel that I've become something maybe more important than other people or something that I I deserve a certain amount of respect or I can look down on other people because I feel that I hold a very important place in society and maybe they're not as uh, academically inclined as I am or maybe they're not as important in society's eyes as I am. So I'm not going to maybe get along with them as much. This is important because when we start to interact and when we start thinking of our identities as anything other than children of God, that's where pride starts to set in. We start to worry a lot more about what's my title, because all of a sudden we think that that title defines us or identifies us, instead of realizing we are all equal in God's eyes. We are all children of God. We are all daughters and sons of God, and I need to treat you with that respect first. When I meet you, I I must realize I am speaking to another human being who has been given the gift of life as I have. And whatever they do here on earth, I need to think about that as that is how they are serving God, not that is how I should treat them or that is what gives them importance, or vice versa. I shouldn't be thinking, well, based on my titles, that is how I am important and that is how people should treat me. We run into those uh, uh, traps easily, and that's where all of a sudden we start falling into certain traps of pride, of narcissism, of feeling that you know, certain people I can talk to or certain people I'll associate with and other people I won't. And this is where it becomes very important and very where I caution uh, us in terms of why does this lead into deliverance? We'll see that in the in the next chapter. But why does this lead into oppression or why does this open the doors or the windows for us to be much more vulnerable to the enemy? And we'll, we'll look at that in a second. But first, we really need to solidify our identity, not just in terms of how I see it, but how it really is. We look at this in terms of who am I? This is just objective fact. I was put here on earth and I look at the Bible and I say, well, I have an existence and where does that existence, what's the purpose of my existence? What's my purpose here on earth? It's to follow the mission that God has for me, to find God's will for me. And if you look at different saints who talk about this, St. Francis de Sales talks about this and St. Augustine talks about this, We're not happy, truly happy, until we realize that our identity is in God and that by following his will, that is what we're made for, that that's where we're going to find our true happiness. And Augustine tells us that his his heart's burning and his heart's never going to be at peace until it rests in God, right? And why is that? Because we can keep looking for this happiness. We can choose to identify ourselves by our worldly titles and our worldly goods. But if that's what we limit ourselves to, then we're always going to be lost. We're always going to be in that quest of who am I and I want to find myself. It's not until we realize that I am a son or a daughter of God and that's my quest, that's my journey, that that is how I'm going to eventually end up being happy. 
I can join as many clubs as I want. I can join, join as many groups as I want. I can go and protest for what I think is right, or I can go and vote for the right politician or for this group or that group. But until I have a basis in the fact that I belong to God, then all the actions I do aren't going to necessarily mean much. If I put God first, then all of a sudden I'm going to understand, wait a minute, this is where true happiness lies. Why am I feeling so depressed? Why am I feeling so anxious? Why is it that I'm taking all this medication and sometimes it doesn't seem to be helping? Now, for some people, obviously, if you're suffering from a clinical depression, clinical anxiety, that's not getting better and, and I can't function, that's going to be very important because that medication is going to help me get to a place of mental health. And the mental health is a position of mind where I can realize that Yes, I do have a mission in life, and what I'm doing is meaningful, and it is towards the, the glory of God. Sometimes we need that medication to help support us in order to be able to think clearly in that, in that sense. But a lot of times, if we just start looking for things here and there, and we're not exactly grounded in terms of thinking, well, let me follow God's will first, we notice that there's a pattern where our happiness just doesn't come, you know? boy, I thought I'd be happy by now because I had set these life goals. And by the time I was 30, I was going to have life figured out. By the time I was 40, I was going to have so many degrees on my wall and I was going to be driving the most expensive car around. We set these certain goals, but if we're setting these goals aside from actually thinking about what God wants for us, aside from thinking, well, let me take a step back. I was created in the image and likeness of God. What does that mean? Do I really need the most expensive car around? Well, if God gave you a gift for making money or for understanding the finances and being able to do that, I'm not saying that's necessarily simple. If that's God's mission for you, that's great. But if we base that in God, then we're going to understand that these gifts that God gave us, we're going to share for the greater good. You know, whether it be that we're wealthy in terms of money or we're wealthy in terms of knowledge or we're, we're wealthy in terms of our, our social acumen where we can be very friendly with people and we have a very nice demeanor. All these things are very good and important insofar as we use our gifts to follow God's will. That is truly where our identity is. So we notice that it's usually in that adolescent age and that, and that angst as we're coming into adulthood that we start getting this sense of mission, that we start getting the sense of, I want to find out who I am. What we're really saying without necessarily knowing it is, I want to find out God's will for me. Now, sometimes we feel like we need to travel afar, we need to take a space, and that's not uncommon. It's very common to say, well, I'm going I'm to travel for a while, or I'm going to do something else, I'm going to just kind of explore life. It's not uncommon at all. We see that in the Bible. We see when Christ went into the desert, we're not saying that Christ didn't know who he was or he was trying to find himself, but right before his mission, he needed to take a journey. He needed to take a step, and he needed to go, and he fasted for 40 days. Why is this important? It's important because when we come back, we're going to talk about our identity in Christ. We know we were made in the image and likeness of God, but something happened that we weren't going to be able to see that. And Christ came to remind us of that. We'll talk more about that when we come back.
We got Ernesto from Long Beach. You know, I just wanted to comment, you know, and I just wanted to thank you guys. And I kind of wanted to encourage people that are listening, maybe that are not donating, you know, because honestly, I got to be honest. I used to think you guys were a little too over the top, time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You That's know, right. If God gave us a lot, you know, and I'm, I have the blessing of listening to all this. I just want to call all the people. You know, I've got five kids, you know, and I don't make a lot of money, and I'm still donating to you guys. God bless you, brother. You're amazing. We got to. We have to do this. We have to do the extra. And it's not even the extra. People see it like it's extra. Kneeling for communion, saying your rosary, saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It is not extra. It's what the church tells us to do. Amen. You're a good man, brother. 30 years old, 29 years old, five kids, and I thank you guys. But everybody else, man, get on fire. Fight for the truth, man. I know what I'm telling you guys. There's I so love it. Out there. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Hello and welcome back to the clinic. I hope that this is helping people out. I hope that um, you're getting that sense. Hopefully that our identity is forged in Christ and that ultimately that that's where we're going to find our happiness and that's where we're truly going to find out who we are and what God's mission is for us. Once we start thinking that way, we start to recognize that we are important no matter what we do. It doesn't matter what career choice I made or or what path I have in life so long as everything I'm doing is to follow God's will, we're going to find 100% of our happiness and we're going to feel so fulfilled. We're not going to need anything else. One of the most important things that we need to think about in terms of our identity, we say our identity is in Christ. And I was talking a little bit about having to go on a mission or having to really take that step back to find out what God's will is for us. We know that when Christ was baptized by St. John the Baptist, after that, the Bible tells us that the Spirit took him into the desert. And he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. We know while he was in the desert, he was tested. And the devil came to him and started giving him all these different temptations. And he passed the test. He did not fall for any of the temptations. Why is he going to be tested? Why is, why is this going to happen? Because if we're going to choose to follow God and we're going to choose to follow God's will, God is saying, are you ready to do this? Every one of us, once we start taking that step to say, who am I? What is my identity? And what is God's mission for me? How do I follow God's will for me? There's going to be tests along the way. Because all of a sudden, we are going to become more Christ-like. 
And when we start doing that, we're actually going to start influencing people in a way that they will want to be more Christ-like. And this is very scary and challenging um, for the evil entities, for an, an, any enemy of Christ. And this is why it gets very, very vulnerable for us if we're in the middle of these temptations to actually open ourselves up, unfortunately, to either to, to uh, excuse me to being oppressed, to being influenced by temptations, and really not feeling like we are who we truly are. That's going to be the challenge, and that's going to be um, the the hard part about making decisions that don't go with our identity. Let's talk a little bit more about Christ, though, and how we know that our identity is forged in Him. So we talk about how God created us as man and woman, and He created us in His image. This happened in the Garden of Eden, and we know the story of the Garden of Eden. We're not perfect as human beings, obviously. There was the fall. And because of this fall, all of a sudden we see this scene, right? There's, and this is where it starts. The temptation started. Adam and Eve are already on their way to meeting God face to face, but they're going to face a temptation. And the temptation is, well, do you want knowledge of good and evil? Do you want to be like God? If you do, all you have to do is just eat of this fruit, even if God told you not to. Don't listen to what God said. This will give you knowledge and you won't die. So the temptation was great. And as human beings, we're going to be faced with these temptations all the time. Don't worry. It's not that big a deal. I know it says that there could be consequences, but please, what does it matter if you fudge something on on the expense reports or what does it matter? You're going to look so good. You're going to be important. You're going to rise up in your in your business and in the eyes of man. You're going to be like a god. You're going to be worshipped. But if we're not careful, these things come into play, and all of a sudden, we're going to fall, and we're going to find ourselves in the same position that Adam and Eve found themselves in. You notice that in the story, it tells us that they started to feel shame. And one of the things that's interesting about that story is that God says, Adam, where are you? Now, it would be silly to think that God could not see Adam that he couldn't see exactly where he was. But why does he ask him this question, where are you? I don't know that it's that God couldn't see Adam. I would flip it around and say, mentally, Adam couldn't see God anymore. It reminds me a lot of when I see patients who might be under the influence of drugs or alcohol or something along those lines. And sometimes they'll come into clinic and they'll come into the appointments and they might have been drinking or they might have been using marijuana or they might have been, they might show up high on methamphetamine, something. And when they're there, obviously I can't do a clinical assessment. It's impossible. Many a times this has happened. And, you know, I tell the patient, I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't do this because why? Their mind is not in the right place. I can't see them. I don't know where they are. They're under this influence of drugs, alcohol, or something along those lines. I can't see who they are. Their identity is, is not present to me. It's not that they've lost their identity. Our identity is never going to be lost. It would be impossible. Once God made us, our existence is forever. We're kind of born into eternity, if you think about it that way. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to be going into eternal life. And we think that, you know, we're not part of eternity. But as soon as we're born, we're part of eternity. The question is, do we go into eternal life or eternal death? So our existence, however, the fact that we exist and who are, what our identity is, hasn't changed. It's just how do we want that identity to manifest itself? Do we want that identity to be more godlike or do we want it to be more animal-like? 
And based on our choices, that's what's going to happen. So all of a sudden, God tells Adam, where are you? I think Adam couldn't see God anymore. I think because of the fall, Adam was, shall we say, under the influence of sin. Maybe not alcohol, maybe not drugs, but under the influence of sin. And we know that when we sin, our intellect is dampened. We can no longer see things as they are. So Adam wasn't ready to receive from the tree of life. Eve wasn't ready to receive from the tree of life. They were now under the influence of sin, and they were no longer able to be present to God. That's what happens to us. That's just what happens. Our fallen nature is if we sin, our intellect is going to be dampened. We cannot see God anymore the way he is, which if we're going to take this back and we're going to look at this psychologically, if God created us in his image and likeness, and I can't see God, so I cannot see his image and likeness, I won't be able to see my own image and likeness. I'm in the image and likeness of God. And if my intellect is dampened because of sin, and I can no longer see God, and God is saying, Dr. Sandoval, where are you? Where's your mind? It's because I'm under the influence of sin, and I'm not present. I'm not present to God. And that can be very, very challenging for us because those are the moments where we feel God has abandoned us or we're alone or we feel like anything we do is wrong or we feel like we're totally condemned and we're going to go to hell for anything we've done um, or something's unforgivable. Those are the moments where we start to believe that because now faith comes into play and we're going to see how strongly this faith comes into play uh, when we talk about the deliverance in our identity. But once we start getting into that place where we can't see God, we no longer see the truth. In fact, we no longer believe the truth, and we start to believe lies. And because of these lies, unfortunately, we don't see God, we don't see ourselves, and all of a sudden we're blinded to what is right and what's wrong. We no longer make the right decisions, not because we necessarily hate God, but because now we're lost. Now I feel lost. Again, it goes back to, well, I'm trying to find out who I am. I need to find myself because I'm lost. And unless I can get into a position where I start looking for God's will for me, then all of a sudden the light of Christ starts to come my way. And we're going to see that in a second. But this is very important to to look at because now Adam and Eve are out of the garden. God can't see them because there's a, a barrier. Adam can't see God anymore the way, and he's not prepared to see God. So he's exiled. The confusion hasn't gone away. Adam just knows that he's in shame and he wanted to hide. And he realized he was naked before God because all of a sudden there's shame associated with what once used to be pure. Now all of a sudden there's shame associated with it. He's blinded to the purity and to his image that, of, of being in the likeness of God. We are out of that garden right now. We're not there. We, we're, as part of the fall, we're in exile. So what does Jesus come to do? There's something very important. So Jesus goes on this journey, and he's looking at his mission. Ultimately, Jesus just came and he said, all I need is my mission. I'm not going to be doing anything else. I'm not going to have the riches of this world. I'm not going to make myself important. These were the challenges in the desert. I'm not going to turn these rocks into bread. I'm not going to um, want to be the the ruler of all these kingdoms. And I'm not going to bow down to anybody else. I have to recognize that the mission is from God, and I bow to God regardless of how hard this mission is. I haven't been perfect in this. It's very challenging because sometimes we think, no, 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 I know better. I got to do it my own way. But this is where Jesus was able to do that. 
when he comes out of his mission, or excuse me, out of the desert, and he starts to follow his mission, and he starts to do what God wants, he obviously gets the apostles, he's able to perform miracles for people with faith, he's able to do all these things, but he realizes that there's still a blindness to our human nature, that there's still part of us that does not see God because we are adults from our sins. So there's a very important part in the scriptures where, let me read this for you. In Matthew chapter 16, there's a part where Jesus is standing there with his apostles and he asks them, who do you say I am? This comes back to our identity, right? And our identity, not just our identity, but the identity of Christ. He's saying, who do you say I am? What's my identity? Who do you identify me as? Well, why is this important? Why after Jesus has been on earth, he's been with his apostles, he's performed miracles, and he's saying, who do you say I am? Who, who am I to you? Can you see me is really what he's asking. Do you see why I'm here? Do you see who I am? And who? it's Peter who, you know, some of them say, oh, you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. And he says, yes, but who do you say I am? And so Peter responds you, in, in verse 16, uh, 16, chapter 16, verse 16 of Matthew, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He identifies him as God. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you are blessed because nobody revealed this to you but my father. So you notice nobody else directly said, you're God, you're the son of God, and that's why I follow you. They were saying what other people were saying. They weren't exactly sure. They didn't want to say the wrong thing, maybe. They weren't exactly sure. Maybe they weren't sure who he was. Maybe they, they couldn't see him. But Peter's able to say this, and it's not like Jesus tells him, wow, you're really smart. That, that's really good. You saw that, and that means that you're heads above everybody. Not necessarily. And he says, this is a gift from God the Father. He's the one who revealed this to you. So you notice that even from, the, from Adam's fall, God is saying, where are you? And all of a sudden, from Peter being able to answer that, it's all because God the Father is there. And as we follow God's mission for us, he will reveal things the same way to us. We'll talk more a little bit about this when we come, when we come back. on apologetics you have entered into virgin most powerful's apologetics dojo where we go wall to wall with defending explaining sharing the faith master apologist carlo brusar carlo welcome to hands-on apologetics hey gary it's great to be back in the dojo my friend master apologist ken hensley welcome to hands-on apologetics good to see you again gary good to be with you Michael Barber, welcome. You have entered into the Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. Gary, thanks for having me on. We are chatting with Master Apologist Carl Keating. Gary, it's great to be back with you. Coming into the dojo is our good friend Steve Ray. Thank you, Gary. Good to be here. Tim Staples, welcome to Hands-On Apologetics. Hey, it's great to be with you, Gary. Thanks for having me on. Join many others in Gary Machuda's Apologetics Dojo. We have some of the best Catholic apologists in the nation. Streaming live weekdays from 10 to 11 a.m. Pacific. Hands-on apologetics on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. 
Leviticus 11.44 says, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. St. Vincent Pilati said, You must be holy in the way God asks you to be holy. God does not ask you to be a Trappist monk or a hermit. He wants you to sanctify the world and your everyday life. May God show us the path to holiness and help us to follow it all the days of our life. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to Bergen Most Powerful Radio. We're talking today about our identity, our identity for ourselves here in this world, and how we're able to better see that our identity is forged in Christ as children of God. We do lots of different things, you know, we choose different professions, we we get through this world in, in the way we best can using the gifts God gives us. But if we ever lose sight that our mission here is to follow God's will and to use all those gifts to best praise God, that's when we start feeling kind of lost. That's when we run into trouble. And we were talking about how, obviously, from our, our first fathers, from Adam and Eve, you know, they, they lost sight of being children of God and chose to take fruit from the tree that God told them not to. And as a consequence of that, we're all a little bit blinded. We're a little bit blinded to be able to see God. Sin dulls our intellect. It doesn't let us see things for what they are. And so where we left off last time was in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus came to us really more than anything else to remind us of who we are. You know, we, we all know that Jesus came and he suffered for us and he died for us on the cross. And because of this, uh, he opened the, the gates of heaven to us. Why is that important? Because we have to remember that that's how important we are to God. When Jesus came to, came to earth, it was to save us, to remind us that, hey, while you're here, I need you to follow this path in order to make it to heaven. I need to remind you of who you are. And we see that because once Jesus is talking to his apostles and he asks them who they say he is, you notice that Jesus doesn't just leave it at, oh, well, now you must praise me or get on your knees and praise me. No, he he lets us know a little bit more about who he is and what that means. So initially, Peter tells him he's the son of God. And Jesus says, this is great. You know, this is wonderful, Peter. God revealed this to you. Nobody here on earth was going to tell you this. It was through my father that you know this. And this is important. And so the real question there is, well, so what? So Jesus is the son of God. What does that mean to me? Because so God is God and and Jesus is the son of God. But does that have an influence on my life? Does that mean anything for my life? And Jesus is here to remind us that absolutely. And so let's look at a few other lines from scripture where now that we know who Jesus is and that he's the son of God, what does that mean? If we look at John in the, in the Gospel of John, and we look at chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus tells us there, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. Well, what did, why is that important? Because all of a sudden, Jesus is letting us know, I said, Adam couldn't see God anymore. Well, what do we need to really see? Yes, in our intellect, we need to know our identity is part of our intellect, but what do we need to see physically here on earth? I remember I was reading a book by Peter Kreeft, and he said, everything here on earth is really a metaphor for the spiritual world, right? Because it's kind of like God left us a roadmap to get to the spiritual world. And if we're going to use our eyes to see, Jesus is going to speak to us the way we understand things. And if he says he's the light of the world, well, and it will use, and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there's the light of life, and then there's other lights. In other Gospels, Jesus tells us that if your light is darkness, that darkness will be deep. But he's talking about the light of life. He's the light of life. Why is that important? Because in order for us to actually see something, not only do we need our eyes, right? So this, we also need the right light. If you talk to any photographer, what they'll tell you is more than anything else, the first thing they look at is, where's the light? Where, what kind of light have we shed on this image that we want to take a picture of? I can't take a picture of that. There's no good lighting. I need good light in order for us to really see the colors, to reveal this as it truly is. I could take a picture, but it's not going to be a very good picture. I don't have good light, right? These are all metaphors truly for our spiritual world where if we don't see things with the light of Christ, then all of our panorama, any art that we're looking at, anything that's before us, it's not going to be the best picture. We're not going to see it clearly. Are we going to see the lines? Are we going to see the shadows, the colors? But if we use the light, the right light, a photographer will tell you, oh, this is great lighting, or we need to check this light, or we need to change the lighting around because otherwise I can't see things. Well, if Jesus is telling us that he is the light of life, if I want to see things from a perspective, where I'm going to see things with, in life, that I'm going to see things correctly, that I'm going to see things the way God wants me to see them, I have to use the right light. Because I have eyes, but I have to know what light I need to expose things with in order for me to see the fine detail, in order for me to know what to follow. Once I know that, it's going to give me a better sense of who I am. So first of all, I have to use Christ as a light. He said that he is the light of the world. I think this is truly what he means. If we see things lit up with Christ, then we're going to see things very clearly. There'll never be a bad picture. There will never be a bad angle. So that's the first thing to consider. And we look further on in the Gospel of John, in chapter 15. You notice, so Jesus tells us who he is in chapter 8. We already know that he's the Son of God, as revealed to God by uh, to Peter by God. And then Jesus goes on to tell us that he is the light. So, okay, so I'm the son of God, but what does that mean? It means that you need to use me in order to see things clearly. But then he goes on to tell us not just who he is, but he's reminding us of our relationship to him. So it moves forward, not just that he's God, but that we have a purpose and a mission. So let's look at chapter 15 of John, verse 5. So now that we know that Christ is the light that we need to follow, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. I am the vine and you are the branches. Not only am, am I the light that you need to see things through, but you need to unite to me in order for you to have life. If we are a branch and we don't have anything to attach to, then what good is that? We don't have, we're not attached to the vine. We're going to wither and die. Christ is that vine. If we look at that passage, Christ tells us not only that he's the vine, but that he is rooted in the Father. 
The father is the soil that he's rooted in. So we notice that it goes right back to Genesis. God created us in his image. God has a mission for us. And he sends us Christ to remind us of that. He sends us Christ to tell us that we are united to him and that this is what we need to look at. So when we look at the world through the light of Christ, then all of a sudden we're going to be able to realize that we are connected to Christ and that's where our life comes from. And once we have the light of Christ and that we are united to Christ, then we can truly see our mission and where we're going to be happy. Now, it's important to think about a few things because we can look at Genesis and think that that's pretty harsh. You know, gosh, they fell. God must not be a loving God because when they fell, he made it so that they had to leave the garden. There was no no way of, uh, around it. You know, we say, well, God is merciful. But then we think, oh, he condemned them and, and he, he sent them out of the garden. Well, it's not I wouldn't read it necessarily that way, because I would think that if they're in a stage where they can't see God anymore, if they're under the influence of sin, then they're not going to be ready or prepared to see God. God said they're not ready to take of the tree of life. Now, all of a sudden, you have to take a step back. You threw a wrench in the plans, but the plans haven't changed. I still want you to eternal life. Now you just have to work a little bit harder towards it. It's kind of like saying, well, gee, you know, I wanted to take this car to the racetrack and, and win this race. But on the way to the racetrack, the car got in a car accident. Well, guess what? We can't race this car in this condition. We need to move it into the shop, get it fixed up and get it ready for the shop again. We're kind of in a situation where we need to be fixed up. Christ comes to remind that to remind us that there is a mission. And while we're here getting fixed up, we need to be able to see things clearly so that as we are in this process, when we are feeling frustrated, when we start to lose sense of our identity, we don't just give it up freely because that's what's going to happen. We're going to all of a sudden be confused. We're, going to, we're now in a state where we can't see things clearly and we can easily be tricked or we can easily be confused and forget that. Our mission and our end goal is to inherit the kingdom of God. This is a very, very big deal. Why? A lot of times people think that, or I shouldn't say people think, I say sometimes we get this idea that God is this overlord and we're kind of his slaves or God is going to, you know, always going to punish us. We need to look a little bit further. We need to dig a little, a little bit more. So we know Jesus is the son of God. We know that he is the light of the world that we're supposed to see things by. We know that we're supposed to attach to him as our vine in order to have life. But then there's something more that Christ needs to remind us of that we might not be able to see as far as our identity. And this is where I think it really solidifies why we were created and what, what it means actually to be crea created in the image and likeness of God. So we go further in that same chapter of John, chapter 15, and we look at verse 15. We see that Christ tells us, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for what I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is probably the most crucial, I think, part of understanding our relationship with God. We're not servants to God. He calls us friends. So sometimes it's easy to very, very easy to think, well, why do I need to follow God's will? Why, why is that? Why, why can't I just follow my own will? Why can't I just do what I want to do? I already feel I'm so smart. Look at every, everything I've studied. Look at what I know. I can do this on my own. And we forget really that everything we have and everything we know and everything we do comes from Christ. It comes from being attached to that vine. All the successes we've had, they come from nowhere else. 
But this is a crucial moment here where Christ tells us this, because if he's not going to call us servants, if he's going to call us friends, we need to look at the psychology of friendship. Notice he goes back and he tells us that everything he has heard from his father. So for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. There's no secrets. We have a very, very open relationship. Everything I know, I've, I've told you. There's not any, there's not going to be a pop quiz. Everything is laid out on the table. And I call you friends. Why is this important? Why is the part of friendship important? He didn't say, I call you brothers. He didn't say, I call you, uh, you know, my immediate family. He said, I call you friends. Now, we know that we were created in the image and likeness of God. And when we talk again about deliverance and why our identity is so important in terms of uh, the fact that it can, that if we don't use it correctly, it's what really opens us up to being oppressed or being possessed or being influenced by the dark side. When we look at our identity, we need to see our identity as that as friendship with Christ. Friendship, and we all, uh, how should I put it? Friendship is, is a situation or a relationship where we give it freely and we take it freely. There's no, no other obligation. Christ gave himself freely to us. We're going to see that in the next section of this when we talk about deliverance and how we freely choose Christ and he freely chooses us because we're friends. And that is where truly our identity lies. I hope you stick around for part two um, and when, when that comes out. We can talk about deliverance and how our identity is really fragile and strong all at the same time. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin most powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.